0: Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank You that as unworthy as we are, Your Son gave all for us. To redeem us and ransom us back to You. We were of no value, of no worth, but with a price that cost Him everything. His very life. And yet love went that far. Father, may we be as generous with our very lives in return. We come before you now with with open hearts, ready to receive the message you have for us. Fill us, Lord. Convict us. Challenge us. In the precious name of your Son, we pray. Amen. Amen. With the loving devotion of a faithful mother, she carefully packed his lunch. She called out to him, be careful on the hillside today. Don't stay out too late. Make sure you're home before supper time. He never heard her words. His mind was too busy racing with the excitement and anticipation of a young boy his age. See, today he was finally going to get a chance to meet the man that everyone was talking about, to meet the man that had been traveling the countryside, to meet the man who, who had healed the lame and, and opened blind eyes, the man who talked about God as His heavenly Father. Oh, He wished His mother would come too. He wished everyone in the village would come, but like so many others, she was just too busy. Too many chores, too much to get done. So many in the village felt that way. Others just didn't care. They had no, no hunger, no interest in the spiritual. Even if He was the long-rumored promised Messiah, so what? How, how did it impact them? How was it going to help them put food on the table? How was it going to help them get their businesses run? Apathy. A simple lack of faith. A simple lack of interest. Not him. Not this little boy. While most of the children his age were were busy playing for the day or helping their parents in their respective businesses, he was going to see the man they called Jesus. And he couldn't wait to hear what he had to say to see Him face-to-face in person. And most of all, though he never told anyone this, his deepest desire was that he would get a chance to meet Him. Little did he know that that very afternoon he was going to have a face-to-face appointment with Jesus Christ. Little did he know that very afternoon he was going to play a hand. he would have a key role In one of those great miracles that would be passed down from generation to generation through scripture. And it all started with a wide eyed excitement, a hunger for the spiritual and a heart open to what God can do. A heart willing to give it all to him. With one final instruction, his mother called out, don't forget your lunch on your way out the door. He didn't. Let's turn to John chapter six. Today and see how the rest of this story unfolds. We're going to read today and we're going to spend time looking at a day in the life of Christ. A very special day and a very special miracle. A miracle filled with lessons about faith and giving and remembering. This particular miracle of Jesus's is the only one that's recorded in all four gospels. It's recorded in Matthew 14, in Mark 6, in Luke 9, and in our text this morning, John 6. And each of the gospel writers has something a little different to say about it. But when you put them all together, an amazing story begins to unfold. For a little background, the the disciples had just returned from a successful ministry trip. And they were sharing with Jesus all that they had said and done and and all that they had taught. And at this point, they were exhausted and, and needed rest. So Jesus suggested that they all depart by a ship to a private place for rest. So let's pick it up now. John 6 verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. And when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Stop here. In Luke's account of the story, he tells it a little bit more from the perspective of the the, uh, disciples. See, Jesus took the time to, to teach and to preach to those who had gathered on the mountainside. And pretty soon the disciples came to him and said, um, Lord, we're, we're not sure if you're aware of this, but it's getting pretty late. There's a lot of people gathered here and you, you've you been going on now for a while and they're hungry. And it, some of them are going faint, Lord, so we better dismiss this meeting and let them all go home so they can eat. And it's at this point in John 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 5, that that Jesus looks at the weary multitude and then he turns to Philip and says, Philip, what are we going to do? Where are we going to get enough food to feed all of these hungry people? Philip, it's interesting, he was the logical one to ask because he was from that region. So you would figure he would best know where to go and and get food. But I love that Jesus already had a plan in place. He had the resources ready at hand, ready to go. He was all ready to provide. But he takes the time to test Philip and to teach Philip. Mark's account of this story tells us when Jesus landed and saw a great crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Jesus was always teaching, wasn't he? He'd been busy teaching the multitude all day. And now he was going to give the disciples a private lesson. As if the creator of the universe needs to know where to go and and get food, he turns to Philip and says, what are we going to do? So I I can picture Philip taking out his little calculator or abacus. And he begins feverishly adding it up to work it out mathematically. I can see the stress on his face as, as he's trying to make this make sense. And finally, in verse seven, take a look. It says, Philip answered him. Eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. I told you Jesus is giving a private lesson here. And the first lesson, lesson number one, was simply this. Never assess a difficulty in the light of your own resources. Simply put, this means never look at a problem and then try to work it out depending entirely upon your own resources. You know, a top analyst in the army was once asked if he could take the time and calculate how much food it would require to feed Israel each day during their travels from Egypt to Canaan. And logistics, if you don't know, it's the, it's the department that, that figures out the moving of something from one place to another and all the, the resources and everything that's required to get the job done. So after taking into account that there were so many variables, and this guy was really good at what he did, but after taking account the, the number of people that were traveling, the amount of energy that would be expensed per day, the fact that no storage means were available, the analyst came back with the answer that it would take 12 million pounds of food every day. This was an unbelievable amount of food to come up with each day. So he concluded at the end of his report that it was humanly impossible, given the storage means and the transportation means of the day, to feed this many people. And you know what? He was right. He was good at what he did. It was humanly impossible. But the source of Israel's food wasn't themselves, wasn't human means, it wasn't human resources. The source was God, was God's resources. See, Philip, like so many of us do, tried to solve the insurmountable problem in the light of his own resources. Up to this point in time, Philip had left Jesus totally out of the picture. And sadly, we do the same so often, don't we? We figure. We sweat. We agonize. We toil about something that we can't do anything about in our own strength. And then finally, we we throw our hands up in the air and we give up and we let God in on it. So many people, when they try to do something themselves. Also, they, they call it moving in faith. I'm stepping out and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do it all by myself. I'm moving in faith. But, but, but I'm going to wrap up all my worthless efforts in the notion that I'm acting on faith. Faith in what? Faith in who? If your faith is founded on yourself and your own efforts and your own resources, I've got news for you. You're headed for a crisis in faith. Moving on our own isn't moving in faith. It's moving in foolishness. Faith has nothing to do with moving out on our own. So many people have a misconception about what faith is. It's not moving on our own. It's not moving with our own resources. It's not mind over matter. A lot of people think it's mind over matter. It's not simply wishing. Empty wishing. People think this is faith. There's, there's a huge movement that's recently come about. And I'm sure you may have seen it. It's uh, this, the, the, the most recent pseudo spiritual fad that's based on a book and a DVD called The Secret. It's invaded Oprah's list, the New York Times bestseller list. It's invaded your local Costco. It's this, this Da Vinci Code style, pretty marketing of a very stupid idea. It, um, I, you know, I kept seeing it everywhere, so I had to look into this. And, and what it is, it's a materialistically driven movement that preaches that you can have and accomplish anything you want. If you focus all your energy upon it and you believe with all your heart that you can have it, then the energy forces of life will channel it to you. It's, you wouldn't believe how popular it's becoming. People are starting support groups and meetings and pseudo churches to popularize this notion. And look, I'm all for positive thinking. I love glass half full people. But that's not faith. Faith is not a synonym for wishing, which is really all that people are doing when they define it in that sense. Faith and wishing aren't even related. To them, if you wish real hard and, and sweat a little as you do, Tinkerbell shows up. And and spread some magic dust and you get what you want. That's not faith. Faith isn't moving out on your own. Faith isn't mind over matter. Faith isn't empty wishing. Faith is a response to the word of God. Jesus wanted a faith response from Philip. Lord, this problem is too big for us, but not for you. That's a faith response. And let me add this also about moving on our own and And moving with our own resources. It's not enough to say, well, well, I'm doing the best I can. I'm just one person and I'm doing my best. The truth is that you're not doing your best until you bring God in on it. Philip is the classic example in the New Testament of someone facing a difficult problem who looks at it discouragingly, but doesn't bring God in on it. Saul and the nation of Israel... Were the, were the exact Old Testament example of the same kind of failure in First Samuel 17. They had a problem with Goliath and the Philistines that seemed to be insurmountable. And they left God out of the picture and they stood there shaking in fear and defeat. Little David, young David, he surveyed the same situation, but he brought God in on it. And he went forth to claim the victory. So lesson number one was Jesus teaching the disciples, when you face a problem, don't face it on your own strength, with your own resources. Include God in that situation and it will change the circumstances. So let's look what happens next. Verse eight. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Lord, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. Oh, but how far will they go among so many? Now another disciple, Andrew, is brought into focus at this point. And he seems to speak with a voice of faith. What he says at first is good. He says, Lord, perhaps this could be a solution you could use. Here's a boy with with five loaves and, and two small fish. But then... He goes on. He should have stopped there, but but he goes on to add the words. But how far will they go among so many? And he shows his lack of faith. And with those words, he blew it. (laughs) But Jesus continues to teach. Lesson number two. Little is much when God is in it. And now our focus returns to that little boy. His excitement was brimming. His anticipation was exhilarating. His faith was great, but his resources were meager. The authors of all four gospel accounts, they go out of their way to explain the little lunch this boy's mother had packed for him. Five small loaves and two small fish. These weren't five loaves of, of basil leaf French bread. (laughs) History tells us they were five small barley biscuits. And the two fish, don't get your hopes up, they were two small, sardine-sized dried fish. It wasn't of great quantity. It wasn't of great quality. It wasn't much, but it was all he had. Yet without hesitation, he gave it up. He gave it to Jesus. Here, Lord, see what you can do with this. Now that was a faith response. That was a solution. Let's see what happens. Verse 10. Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Verse 12. When they had all had enough to eat, He said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Wow. What an amazing story. What an amazing point that's made. In the midst of a lack of faith by Jesus' own disciples, it was the faith of a little boy, who gave to Jesus his little lunch that sparked that mighty miracle. Christ rewards our faith, no matter how small an act may seem. You know, that little boy didn't know it back then, but he was writing great theology. It was a simple act, but but with his simple act of faith, two things occurred. And they occurred in a very specific order. First, what he had was transferred to Jesus and that it was transformed by Jesus. Amen. It wasn't of great quantity. It wasn't of great quality, but he gave it all to Christ. He held nothing back. We would do well to follow such an example, wouldn't we? Whatever talent you have, give it to Christ. Transfer it to Him. Whatever time, whatever resources, whatever efforts, whatever problem, Transfer it to Christ. Let Him transform it. Too often, though, that's not what we do, is it? We hold on with a tight grip to everything we have. Friend, nothing good can come of that. You'll notice there's a clear order to what happened. First, what we have is transferred to Jesus. And then He can transform it. It can't happen without the transfer. It can't happen without that first step. God isn't in the business of taking something from us. And fixing it without us giving it to him first. He'll never take your situation, your problem, your broken relationships and transform them on his own. You have to transfer them to him first. Sadly, we don't do that. No, we use up every ounce of our efforts and our talents and our time. And then we give God whatever's left over. Here's the remains, Lord. See what you can do with that. We hang on to every problem and we attempt every possible solution on our own. And then when things are so messed up beyond repair, we hand it over to God. Here, here, Lord. What are you holding on to? Why are you holding on to what you have? You want Christ to transform your spiritual life? Give him your time. Give him your thoughts and your mind and your heart. You want him to transform your marriage? Give it all to him. You want him to heal and restore your family? Give it to him. Let him be the first priority within your family and watch him transform it. Broken relationships, wounded hearts, those are his specialties. Whatever it is, good or bad, give it to Christ and he'll make it great. Like the simple question we heard in the song, what if I give all? What would really happen if I gave Christ everything? What can God do with all of me? What would happen if I gave Christ control of my marriage, my family, control of my business, of my relationships, of my priorities, of my finances? Can we possibly think that we know better than God how to make the best use of what we have, that he's given us in the first place? You know, we're quick to dismiss that question and say, no, no, God knows better. But our lives' actions, they tell a different story, don't they? So ask yourself three simple questions today. What am I holding on to and keeping from the Lord? Two, why am I holding on to it? What's keeping me from selling out to Christ entirely? And three, what would really happen if I gave God everything, all of me? What if I give all? What a spirit of faith that little boy displayed. And I love that it didn't take long for Christ to reward that spirit. The disciples were floored. Can you imagine the looks on their faces with jaws dropped wide open as they kept passing out more and more food from that little contribution? Christ transformed that gift and made it more than it could have ever been had it been held onto. That's the answer. That's the answer to what if I give all? Then Christ can take what I give him, my time, my effort, my talent, my money, my marriage, my family, and make it greater than it could have ever been had I held on to it. We're not talking about slightly more, slightly better, incremental differences. We're talking about complete transformation, wholesale change. Matthew tells us, and we read this, that there were 5,000 men besides women and children so so if you can imagine, we're talking about a crowd of, of about 15,000 people. This fills a stadium, fills an auditorium. How much greater was that little lunch of five loaves and two fishes made in order to cater a lunch to 15,000 hungry people? That's the kind of transformation we're talking about. The kind that only Christ can perform Amen. if we give it all to Him. So let me ask you, have you done this yet? Have you said to Christ, Lord, all I have and all that I will have, I give to you. When you do this, something wonderful happens. We find that we're no longer concerned about what we have. We're no longer concerned about the loss of material things. That Whatever was once so important to us, because they're no longer ours, they're his. We've transferred ownership to him a great quote gives some good advice. It says, we can have little and it will remain little as long as we keep it. But if we have little and give it to God, God multiplies it. Remember the widow of Zarephath in in 1 Kings 17? She surrendered her little crock of meal and oil to God through Elijah and God multiplied it. This applies to everything we have in life. Everything we are in life. You know, Growing up as the son of a, of a pastor and of parents who shepherded a church wasn't always easy. And there were a lot of sacrifices that, that had to be made. And so many times as a boy growing up, I would wish that we could take our little family and keep it our little family. And, and I would wish we could take our time and hold on to it as our time. But my parents had, had made a commitment. They had made a decision to give God all of us. All of our family, all of our time, all of our efforts, all of our talents. And I look around me now at at the many brothers and sisters in Christ that I have. And I realize how true the principle is. Whatever you give to God, he will multiply it. He will make it greater, and I repeat, he will take what you give him and make it better than it could have ever been had you held on to it. Only Christ can fill our hunger, heal our wounds, fix our problems, multiply our sacrifices and dry our tears. He's the only one. He's the answer to every question we have in life. So how well, after seeing this and being firsthand witnesses of this, how well did the disciples learn this lesson? Let's look at what happened later that evening. Turn to Mark chapter 6. Verse 45, and we're going to read about what takes place shortly after this miracle of the loaves. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 6 and verse 45. It says, immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. This is the same crowd that was just fed. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. And when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Stop there. In the, in the King James Version it reads, For they considered not the miracle of the loaves. When, when did this occur? A few years, a few months later? This was the same night. A few hours later, Jesus gives His his disciples a direct object lesson on faith. And then He tests them on it and they immediately fail. It's easy to, uh, to laugh at their ineptness. But you know what? I've been there. I've done that countless times. God steps in and teaches us something about faith. He performs a mighty work in our lives that leaves an unmistakable unmistakable mark of His hand at work in us for our good. And then with the next storm, our hearts harden. We forget about that last miracle. We forget about that providence. We go down for the count. What what happened to the past acts of God's providence? Our memory is so short, but God is still so faithful. He's always teaching us. And we come to lesson number three of the day. Remember the landmarks. From our very first steps of faith, God is at work in our lives. Showing us more of Himself. Building up our faith. And one of the things He does is to leave landmarks in our lives. Times in our lives when He stepped in and provided when no one else could. Moments on our journey when we found ourselves so weak So fragile. But his strength came in and made us stronger than we were before. Things we overcame. Sins we left behind. Stands we took. These are spiritual landmarks. These are spiritual landmarks in our lives where God made us more than we were before. And in every storm that comes our way, we should look back to the landmarks of faith in our lives and remember, remember, Remember what God can do when we trust Him. He's done it before. He'll do it again. I remember that landmark. How quickly we forget, though. Just a few hours prior to that storm in Mark 6, Jesus had built a landmark of faith in the lives of each one of those disciples. A landmark to remind them that He can when they can't. And although it was just a few hours later, They didn't even consider that landmark when the next problem came up, when the next storm hit. It's a sober reminder of how fragile we are, isn't it? As human beings, how short our memory is, how fragile our faith can be. Never forget the landmarks of faith in your lives. God's come through before and he'll come through now. He'll come through in your need. But he can only help you if you turn to him. God is so faithful. Even when we are faithless, the scriptures tell us that he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. So what happens? Jesus appears to the terrified disciples. He walks on the water, walks out to the boat, calms the storm. Verse 51 said, Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. They had forgotten the previous landmark. But even though, even though they had forgotten the previous landmark, Jesus defines a new one in their lives. His patience and his goodness are unfathomable. You know, we're so undeserving. We're such a faithless, Fragile and forgetful people. But he never stops giving. He never stops loving. He never stops teaching. It was a day of teaching. A lot of lessons learned that day. He spent the entire day teaching them and then reiterating the lessons to his disciples. And as applicable as they were to them back then, you know what? They're still as timely to us today. Number one, never assess a difficulty in the light of your own resources. Number two, give God your all, little as much when God is in it. And number three, remember the landmarks of God's providence. Friend, what, what have you been holding on to? What is it that you've been hoarding from God? And, and we're not talking about just tithing here. God doesn't want your money, He wants your heart. Have you been foolishly hoarding from God? Hoarding your time, your efforts, your priorities, your talent, your heart from the one who gave them to you in the first place? Have you been hoarding your problems? Have you been trying within your own resources and wisdom to fix what's broken in your life? What's broken in your relationships? What's broken in your marriage? What's broken in your family? What would happen if you gave him your all? If you gave up and gave it up and gave it all to him. Like he did with that little lunch, he will make it miraculously more than it was in your hand. He'll fix your problems and heal your hurts in a way that you never thought possible. It's not too late. It's not too late to turn it all over to him. It's not too late to give him everything. Transfer it to Christ and watch him transform it. Can you imagine as the evening closed and that little boy came back home for the night as he bolted in through the door said, Mom, you'll never believe what happened to me today. That's nice, dear. First tell me, did you finish all your lunch? No, Mom. It was way too much for me. (laughs) Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this inspirational example of a childlike faith that, that gives all to you without hesitation. Father, we recognize that we can't tackle our problems on our own with our own resources. So we open our clenched hands, our clenched fists, and we give you our all. All of our time, all of our efforts, our talents, our priorities, even all of our problems, our hurts, our broken relationships, our marriages, our families, we transfer them all to you and we ask you to transform them, multiply them, fix them, heal them, mend them, make them more than what they were or could have ever been in our own hands. Father, our own wisdom is foolishness. Our own resources are useless and our own efforts are are futile. So today, Lord, we throw up our hands. We let go. We give it all to you. And we wait and watch with anticipation to see your transforming power. With grateful hearts, we thank you, Father. And we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.